From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. All right, so uh, that now, we I'm sorry it took so long, but last time we were, um, we just started into Genesis 18. And Genesis 18 is a fascinating little uh, chapter in Genesis. So we're going to spend some time in Genesis 18 this morning um, because it really is really good. So we talked about how Abram, Abraham now, he's now Abraham and it's now Sarah, uh, was sitting in his tent at the entrance at the heat of the day and he got visitors. And since this was yesterday and since the whole chapter kind of is, uh, is part of this, we're just going to go right back to Genesis 18. We'll start at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance to his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. Now, um, so Abraham is in his tent, and he's in the heat of the day. He's at the entrance to his tent, and he sees three men sitting there. whole bunch of questions there because of the way he treats these three men. But um, one of the things that we know about Abraham is that he was part of a large tribe. He had a lot of wealth. And so when we think of tents, right, we think of the pup tent that we may have camped in when we were growing up. But if you go to some of these societies that are still tenting societies in the Middle East, and there are, I think, still few, Bedouin societies or whatever, a tent can be uh, even a palace, right? I mean, it can be a rather large thing. As a matter of fact, um, I think I have a picture of a tent. Uh, this is just one that I randomly pulled off the internet. Uh, and you can, oh, nope, that's not it. How about that? Yeah. So um, that is a, a tent that's somewhere in the world. Uh, but it, just imagine that tent and then multiply it, you know, bigger and bigger. Um, because if you live in a society where there's not a huge amount of rain, and the biggest things that you're trying to protect yourself are from dust and sun, um, then you just need to put up some shades that protect you from the dust and the sun. And, uh, you know, they can be large, open-air little things. And that's what Abraham had, was a large, open-air tent. And probably the whole compound, if you think about 319 men that went with him to go rescue his nephew Lot, and you think about those men and their wives and their children and all the servants and all the animals. I mean, we're probably talking about a 1,000 to 2,000 member strong tribe and it's all tented and uh, Abraham is in charge of it. So he's got the largest tent. He almost acts like a king in some respects uh, as we've seen here in Genesis. So this, this compound, this is a huge compound that Abraham is in charge of, and he's sitting in front uh, of his tent or near the entrance to his tent, and all of a sudden he looks up in the heat of the day, which is in the afternoon, and he sees three men. Uh, and it says uh, that in Genesis, what, what Moses calls them, because Moses is writing this, he says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. So we have right here in Genesis 18 that this is the Lord, that this is God, that this is the manifestation of God. We talked about this before. This is called a theophany. A theophany is where God takes on human form. 
and comes and communicates to mankind. So this is a theophany, no question about it. It's the Lord appeared to Abraham and he saw three men standing nearby. So uh, we'll just keep reading. Verse three, and he said, this is Abraham talking, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. And now that you've come to your servant, very well, they answered, do as you say. So uh, right here, we can see that it's singular Lord appeared to Abraham, but then it's three people and he went to meet them. And then he said to him, uh, and then Abraham said, please don't go on your way. And they said, very well, they answered, do as you say. So there's this, this combination going back between three and one in this whole thing. So that is the big question is who is this theophany, right? Uh, and there's, there's two main theories, but let's just finish the rest of this and then we'll talk about those theories. We'll continue in verse six. So Abraham hurried off into his tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf, young cow, and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he sets it before them, it's them again. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. And they asked him a question, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. So they know that his wife's name is Sarah. Did, did he... Did he tell them that or did they just know that going into it? Hmm. All right. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked, they asked him. They're in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah was through menopause, hot flashes, all that great stuff. So Sarah laughed to herself and she thought, after I am worn out and old, my Lord is old. While I now have this pleasure to have children, um, then the Lord said to Abraham, this is again singular, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and she said, I did not laugh. But he, this one person, the little, you know, one of the three said, yes, you did laugh. So here we have um, a couple questions that just come out right, right away. It's like, uh, who is this? And we know it's a theophany. There's absolutely no question from the text that this is God in human form. It's my Lord coming to uh, Abraham and, uh, and has this uh, conversation with Abraham. And um, Abraham is talking to them, uh, but it's three of them. Uh, so, uh, you know, three is an interesting number. Three is the number of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, in the creation story, we saw that it wasn't God El, but it was Elohim. It was many, it was the plural form of God, but that he created the heavens and the earth. So um, this is Genesis. This is before you know Christ is on the earth, so Moses would have no idea about Jesus, and yet the way he writes it is about three people. So 
just a couple comments. First of all, we know it's a theophany. We know it's God in human form. Um, the two competing theses here, the two competing ideas are, number one, that this is a Trinitarian depiction of God. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Somehow, um, God took flesh into three and came and visited Abraham. Now, that theory or that idea behind Genesis 18 actually was not part of early Christianity. In early Christianity, uh, the idea was that it was God in the flesh and two angels. So when God shows up, he shows up to Abraham with two angels. And that is what the early church, pretty much from the time that they were uh, you know, enacted in, in Acts 2, uh, until maybe the third or fourth or fifth century, there was no writing whatsoever, an early church father, that said it was anything else than Jesus Christ, so God taking human form, so he would look like Jesus or perhaps somebody else, but they said it was Jesus, uh, and two angels going with him. And there is a reason why they would say that. And the first is, when we get to Genesis 19, uh, this same crowd of people go over to Sodom and they look over at the town of Sodom. And it says in Genesis 19 that it's angels at that point, but it's only two angels, which is interesting. So all that taken together, the early church, and I agree with them, uh, is that it's God in human form. It's Jesus and two angels with him. Uh, that is kind of how I view this theophany. That it's, that it's Jesus and two angels, or it's, it's God in human flesh, which, okay, it looks like Jesus, because when God takes human flesh, it looks like Jesus. Uh, and they're the ones that are coming in and talking to Abraham. And uh, I find that fascinating. So what happens? So Abraham, for whatever reason, I mean, another reason is that there must have been something about the man in the middle, right? You've got the man in the middle plus the two servants. Now, I'm sure Abraham had visitors all the time. I mean, people probably came through, and but there was something unique about this visitation from these three. So I'm thinking that it's God in the middle and the two angels kind of acting as his servants or his messengers or you know whatever the, the other two guys are. They're probably pointing out the glory of the guy in the middle, which is Jesus. And so when they show up, it's almost an instant... Um, indication to Abraham that this guy is somebody special. I need to go. I need to get him something to, to drink. I need to wash their, you know, somewhere to wash their feet. I need to kill the, the, the little calf. I need to have curds and milk, and I need to treat them like royalty. There must have been something about the way that they presented themselves for Abraham to immediately recognize that this is the Lord. And, and so he does. He treats them with incredible respect and does, you know, throws out the red carpet for them. Uh, there's no question about it. And so uh, then they make this amazing, remarkable prediction, which is that they're going to come back in a year. And when they come back in a year, Sarah is going to be pregnant uh, through that year, and she's going to have a son. And of course, Sarah hears all this in the tent, and she starts laughing like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, how would you feel if you were well past childbearing age and somebody told you, hey, you're going to have a kid in a year. I mean, you probably would laugh. I don't blame Sarah for laughing. I mean, laughing is part of the story. Sarah should laugh. 
But when she's called to the carpet on it by the guy in the middle and says, why are you laughing? She, sa- she denies it. She says, I didn't laugh. Which is, now if you take this at its face value, then that means that Sarah is lying to God. Uh, which, uh, you know, there's two people you should never lie to, apparently. One is Congress and the other is God, right? And um, so Sarah chose to lie and hide it. Um, and, but the guy in the middle doesn't, doesn't seem to, um, to really call Sarah onto the carpet for lying to him. It's funny. Uh, he just says, yes, you did laugh. Um, just points out that she lied. And I find that fascinating. There's no, uh, you know, because you lied to me, I'm going to, uh, you know, have your toes fall off or because you lied to me, I'm going to turn your skin green or because you lied to me, you're going to have a son, but you're not going to have any grandsons or something like that. Um, for whatever reason, the, the guy in the middle, this Lord says, yes, you laughed. And that's what he left it at. And Sarah now knows um, that this guy, uh, must be something important because he not only knows her name, he knows that she's going to bear a child, he knows that she was laughing, he knows all this about her and gives this promise that you're going to have a child and she does have a child. Uh, And the name of the child is reflected in the story. So um, that happens in Genesis 3. They get this this theophany. And uh, of course you could ask the question, do we get theophanies from God today? Do people get theophanies? I know that there are some people that say that they see God. Uh, There are very many Catholics that say they see the Virgin Mary. Um, There are even some other people. I remember Oral Roberts saying that he saw a 75-foot Jesus once, and it was a 75-foot Jesus that told him that he should build Oral Roberts University, which is this big medical center. And uh, he was able to you know, raise the money for that because he went around telling people that he saw a 75-foot Jesus and that Jesus told him to do that. And that's a very, very powerful image in your head to go around and raise money for a hospital by saying, well, I saw Jesus come down. You know, I don't know if that would be a theophany or if that would be a vision. It's probably more of a vision. Um, and, you know, you're probably saying to yourself, man, I wish God would come to me in a vision, right? I wish God would come to your vision and tell me what to do. But that is a double-edged sword because if God comes to you in a vision uh, and tells you what to do, A, you have to do it. You have no choice. Uh, If God uh, tells you in a vision to do something, it's best not to go against what God is telling you to do. Uh, And so when when he comes in a vision, make sure it's a vision, you know, test and then there's other, you know, and Paul says, you know, whenever, you know, you hear the Lord speaking to you, test those spirits, right? Um, go back through scripture, see if that's all part of scripture or not, and make sure that what you're hearing is truly uh, in line with God and what he's already said through his word. And if what he's said through his word lines up with what he's telling you, um, you know, then it's, then you are free to do that. Um, and if you, if you truly believe that it is from God, you're to believe that also um, but the double-edged sword of a part of it is now uh, you have to be potentially mocked and ridiculed uh, I don't know if Oral Roberts was I'm sure he had to have been because he went around telling people that he saw a vision of a 75-foot Jesus to build Oral Roberts University and I'm sure there had to have been people 
mocking him at the time saying, well, you didn't see God, that didn't happen, that sort of thing. And of course, I have no idea whether or not that was just a marketing scheme or whether or not he truly did see a 75 foot Jesus. That is something way, 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 way beyond my understanding and possibility of understanding. Uh, the only know, uh, way I'll know that is at the end of time when, when I see Jesus face to face, I can ask him that and about 18 million other questions that I have for him. Got a list going on in my head. And uh, I will definitely, but I believe that when we get to heaven, it'll all be laid out for us. I believe that heaven is going to be basically following all the different ways that God had it under control. Like this coronavirus thing that's going on, you know, we're, we're afraid about it, but God's got it under control. He knows what's going to happen. He knows how it's all going to end up and he's got it. There's, he, we're safe in his hands. Um, there's no reason to worry about it. I mean, it's fun to watch about it. It's no fun to stay home. You know, it's no fun to wear the, wear the face mask. You know, it does cause a huge inconvenience in our life. But the one thing that we should never, ever, ever worry about is does God have it under control? God has it under control. God has everything under control. Everything that happens, he's able to use for his good. And so right now in the midst of a pandemic, God is able to use this for his good uh, in the world around him. And that's a hope that we all cling to. And he's able to use his church to love the world around him too. So that's another thing that we're called to do. All right, so that pretty much ends Genesis uh, 18 verses 1 to 15. Um, now, the, the, there's another part to Genesis 18, and that's this discussion with these three men about Sodom and Gomorrah. And you've all heard about Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole entire story. And... Um, you probably have some things in your mind about what that story was really all about. And um, we're gonna, we're gonna probably, I'm gonna challenge you on what that story is, what it's truly about, and why uh, Moses put that story in there, why God the, did the things he did. Um, that is, you, are, you won't wanna miss that one, because that is, that'll be a, a money day. And that'll be tomorrow, which is Wednesday, which is hump day. Um, so. Uh, I guess we'll probably end it right there. Um, so if you wouldn't mind joining me with prayer, that would be great. Gracious God, um, thank you for the blessings of this day. Thank you for uh, the numbers that are looking good on the coronavirus. And we pray that you would be with those who have to make decisions based upon these numbers. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would watch over us and our our little, you know, South Tucson Arizona, United States, and the world. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name.